Thank you, Frank. Good morning. Hey guys, welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. My name is David Hinkle and I'm the discipleship pastor here, which what that means is I love and follow Jesus and I help others do the same. So that's what I'm committed to is to help uh, adults grow in their relationship with God. And it's been my privilege to uh, serve in this capacity here. And uh, I love uh, having opportunities to preach. And so uh, that's what I'm about to do. Did you guess that? I don't know if you're on it or not, but that's about that's about to go down. I didn't say that any other time. I don't know what's wrong with me. I think I think delirium can kind of set in, you know, the fourth service. Just kind of like, well, what does it matter? It's not true. I did just get back from uh, uh, traveling with my family to Oklahoma. We had a wonderful time seeing family. And we had that classic conversation and that experience that you go through, whether you're when you're packing. And that is, did we get everything? Do we have everything? And I was kind of the, did you have, did you get everything like warden? Did you get everything? Do we have everything? You know what happens? We go on these trips and we don't always get everything. And do we have everything? We need? And I did it so much that my wife just said, David, where we're going has a Walmart. <laughs> and if we have forgotten something, we'll probably be okay. And so I was the one that had the, you know, I was wanting to be the truth guy. I know we're going to leave something behind. Do you have everything you need? Have you walked through the house? Have you checked the bathrooms? Have you done all that? And of course, we're going down US 75 at the point of no return, and I had forgotten something. So that's just how it goes. And in those kind of moments when we know something and yet we're not the ones who do it and we get busted, we like grace, right? When we know something and yet we didn't do it, we... We like to have grace extended to us. We get frustrated when it's done to us, when someone knew what they were supposed to do and yet they didn't do it. (laughs) Then (laughs) we want to let them know about it. When it's us, we like to have grace extended to us. We're going to talk about a knowledge problem. A group of people who they knew how they were supposed to live. They knew what was Uh, what their calling was, yet they weren't following that. They weren't doing it. They were stuck in prisons of their own hearts. You and I don't need anyone to preach at you about what the purpose of our life is in Christ. The purpose of our life is to glorify God, right? You knew that when you came in. We should glorify him. In fact, this whole thing about being grounded, grounded in a relationship with God in this series that we're in the midst of, we know that life is best lived when we glorify God. We are called to live for God's glory. But what does that really mean? I mean, it's one thing to say, sister, are you living for God's glory? Are you? It sounds biblical. It also sounds highly churchy. What does that mean? What does it mean to live for God's glory? To glorify someone or something is to make that individual or that object great. So when we're called to glorify God, we're to make the name of God great wherever we go. That is the purpose and the point of the Christian life is to live in such a way that people would see our good deeds and they would glorify our Father in heaven. That they would go, God is great. 
That's the point. And you knew that when you came in. And I knew that prior to studying this passage and and looking at what the biblical truth is. But yet, I think we can all agree it is difficult for us to maintain faithfulness all the time. It is difficult for us to keep continuing to move with God based off the knowledge that we have. I think it was the great theologians that that created G.I. Joe. They said it this way. Now you know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe. Right? I didn't really know what the other half of the battle was until, you know, I figured it out. That's when you put it to action. Now you know, and that's half the battle. The other half of the battle is to put it into action. So I'd like for you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament. If you do not yet have a Bible, I'd like for you to have a Bible in front of you. That's why we have Bibles along the back wall on both sides. We have red Bibles back there. And if you don't yet own a Bible, you can take one as our gift to you. But uh, it's okay to get up from your seat. No one will judge you. You can go back, get a Bible, and then come back to your seat. That's okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is a letter that was written from the Apostle Paul to a group of believers who lived in a city called Corinth. They had written to Paul first. They had questions that they were asking of him. They, there were issues that they wanted his insight to give them direction, to give them understanding. So they wrote to him and he has written 1 Corinthians back to them in response. In this section of chapter 10, this is right in the middle of a subsection of the book that goes from chapter 8 to the beginning of chapter 11. So from 8-1 to 11-1. This is a segment, a section in a letter. In 8-1, I just want to read it for you. It says, now concerning food offered to idols. That was one of the things they had questions about. Do we eat the meat in our city that has been offered up to idols? Can we do that? He says, now concerning that food... We know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So in this subsection of the letter, when he begins it in 8.1, he he leads with, there's knowledge that we can have that just fills us up, puffs us up, inflates us, but is of no benefit to the other people around us. The point is that love should build others up. And so then he goes into discussing this in chapter 8. He talks about his own personal freedom in Christ, how he can choose how to live. And yet he lays his his Christian rights down to purposefully submit to others so that he could encourage them and to reach them with the gospel. So Paul is saying, hey, you do have freedom when it comes to eating this food. In fact, I have all kinds of freedoms that I can live, but I lay most of those down so that I can reach other people for the gospel to build them up. When he comes into chapter 10, he's going to bring this whole subsection to a close. So I want to share with you five realities. These five realities should determine why we should live for the glory of God. Why should we live for the glory of God? Well, it's because of five realities that we find here in this passage. The first reality is this, that all are loved by God and can be made new in Christ. All 
are loved by God. That is a common condition for everyone on the planet, everyone in this room. We have an unlimited love of God for us. He loves us. He knows everything about us. Every triumph, every failure, every celebration, every hurt. All of our sin, he knows everything about us and yet he has chosen to love us. Every one of us is loved by God. It is unlimited. And he has provided salvation for all who believe in Jesus Christ. But that salvation is limited to those who would believe. We have to believe in Christ. We are all loved by him. But we can be made new. We can be saved by faith in what Jesus has done. So here's what Jesus has done. Because of our broken condition, God knew us fully and he was moved with that knowledge to send his one and only son to die for us. Jesus Christ stepped down into our condition and he died on the cross for our sin. He set us free from sin, from shame and from the wrath of God. The question associated with this reality is, do you know you are loved by God? You know that he loves you. Did you come to this place looking to be made new? You need a new start. Something different has prompted you to come here. Well, the answer to the human soul is, is Jesus, the love and the work of Jesus done for you. You can be made new by responding to who Jesus is. Believing that he's God's son, he gave his life for you. I want you to look for the word all in this passage I'm about to read out of 1 Corinthians 10. This is where we find that this is a true reality. Chapter 10, verse 1 says this, For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. This ancient Israelite people, they were once enslaved and imprisoned in Egypt. But God, because of his great love for them, had a rescue plan for them. And so he sent a representative for him named Moses. And Moses brought a message of deliverance and that all of the people of God who believed could be rescued, could be set free. And they were. And the rescue of God applied to all of them. Everyone was just as set free as everyone else from their Egyptian captors. From the wardens of Egypt. And that is the mercy and the work of God for all who turn by faith in God's revealed representative. For the ancient Israelites, it was Moses. And then ultimately, the picture is of what Moses accomplished was what Jesus accomplished once and for all. For all who would believe. Moses was a type of deliverer that Jesus is the full fulfillment of for all of us. All of us have been fully rescued. That means that none of us in Christ have to wake up wondering if we've done enough to earn our salvation with God. 
None of us have to think that or fear that. Because when we wake up and the work of Christ has been fully accomplished for us, there is nothing left for us to earn with God. He's not waiting for you to be better. All of the provision of God has been poured out for all who believe. What a great privilege it is to be loved and known and saved by God. That's our first reality. But we're going to see in the text how it moves from all to a different word, and that's most. And here's our second reality. Most fail to love Christ only. Most fail to love Christ only. The ancient Israelite people had had a cry called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It was their community cry that there is only one love for us, and it is God himself. But not too long, even experiencing the rescue of God, did they turn their hearts away from God. And other, other things came in. And the same was true for the Corinthians. They were trying to remain culturally relevant and current while also living out their Christian faith. And some were engaging into cultural practices of the day that were contrary to their Christian beliefs. And they lived in this tension of how do we be in the world but not of the world. And they weren't doing a great job with it. And they were letting their passions pursue other things other than Christ alone. But the passage says in verse 5, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. That is the majority position for the people of God. Most of us cannot keep God or Christ as our one and only all the time. Our broken hearts get pulled toward other things that overthrow us. It was true of the ancient Israelites. It was true of the Corinthians. It's true for us. It leads us to the third reality that is true. That all can find rescue and receive the same provision of God. Most fail to love Christ only. And then some of that group, the majority, some are caught in four prisons of the heart. This is what Paul is going to lay out, and he's going to use the word some. He went from all to most, and now he will use the key word some to describe when most of us go wrong, we fall into four different traps or four different prisons. These are what they are. I'm going to give them to you right up front. First one is idolizing. Idolizing. Where we set someone or something out as a pursuit of our own heart. We know when we came in, it should be Jesus. Yet there are things in our culture, there are things from within our own desires that we, we set up as a place of priority. That we idolize other things, other people. It's a trap. It moves us away from responding to the full knowledge of God that he loves us and he's called us to build others up. When we begin to idolize something else, we just kind of stop moving with God. The next prison of the heart is fooling. It's playing around. 
We're going to see it from this passage, how they played and then just went into sexual immorality because this is a statement that Christ isn't satisfying enough. You and I live in the reality that when we wake up each day, Jesus isn't physically there with us to guide us, to give us truth, right? He didn't show up in your bedroom this morning. And so sometimes there's this difficulty of walking in faith while also dealing with very real desires that we have in our life. And we can quickly turn to other things for satisfaction. And this is a trap. This is a prison for us. Where instead of moving with God, we are simply living for our own entertainment. Enjoying our own comforts. The next one is comparing. This is comparing our our current circumstances with how things used to be. You know, when you're a Christian, you're supposed to submit to God's plan, but sometimes God's plan stinks. (laughs) It means that we have to give up some personal happiness or something that we have to move away from. That might be a little bit more enjoyable than serving at the rescue mission. Or going every month and working with with kids of special needs. That demands sacrifice and sometimes the way we used to live is a lot easier. Does that make sense? We can get caught up in comparing our current condition with our previous one. Or comparing the experiences or the wealth or the riches of others who don't even have a love for God. But they seem to have a much more enjoyable life. We get caught in comparisons and we just stop moving with God. And then finally, there's grumbling. This is kind of the Guantanamo of grumbling. These, when people are grumblers, they terrorize others around them, tear them down. Guantanamo, supermax, that's where we put the terrorists, right? Chuck Swindoll was training his staff, his, his pastoral staff team. He's a pastor down in Texas. And he saw a progression of where people shift their heart away from God toward other things. And then they get caught up in living for themselves and they just start comparing one another and then eventually they land in a place of grumbling. That there's a progression here. That when you're dealing with someone who's a grumbler, chances are their criticisms and the stuff that they are just seething out is born out of these other sins already deeply at root. When you're dealing with a grumbler, that's not the the primary issue. There are other issues just beneath the surface. And this can be a trap and we can get into this, but this ultimately is a statement that God isn't really good. Let's find this in the passage. Key word is some. Verse 6. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That idea of play is not, they made sandboxes and made mud pies and just played. This is an idea of of sexual immorality and misconduct. It's tied to the next verse. We must not indulge then in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test. This is the comparison as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. 
In that specific example, the people were saying we should just go back to Egypt. It was better there. It was better. Even though we were enslaved, we didn't have to rely on God every single day. It was easier just to go there. Verse 10, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. These things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. You should underline or circle, take heed. We usually don't find that phrase in the Bible. When there are phrases that pop up that aren't normally found, we should circle them, underline them. Take heed. Warning, danger. The majority for most of us is that we cannot keep Christ as our one and only and we fall into four different prisons of the heart. Take heed lest you fall. Now, there is a way out of all of these. And the answer is always Jesus. And we find it in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Circle, underline. It's okay to write in your Bible. Here's what it says. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. That you may be able to endure it. The way of escape is the one who said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We come to Christ for salvation. We come to Christ for the way out of the prisons of our hearts. He is the answer. He is the avenue for freedom. You cry out to Him. You call to Him. You call whatever prison you've been in. You call it as He calls it. You ask for His rescue and you will find it. And He is our way of escape. And we can endure temptation. He will provide a way through it. We go all, most, some, now to we. Because here's a reality for us. We are free to live out our faith. We are free to live it out. Christ has set us free. There is nothing left to earn with God. And so you and I have freedom to live out our faith. God has given that to His church. That means when you wake up in the morning, you can choose to tell people about Jesus. You can also choose not to tell people about Jesus. We should be compelled to, but we are free to live out our faith. We live in a country that extends incredible freedoms to us. Some states are now having freedom more than the rest of us. And it's creating challenges for the church in Colorado and California. Of The law says things are free. Look at how verse 23 begins in chapter 10. Paul is quoting a phrase of their day. All things are lawful. This is what the Corinthian church is saying. The law has made provision for us to kind of do whatever we want. Paul says all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. This was the point that Paul made in chapter 8, verse 1, and he's coming now to bring this to a conclusion. We are free to live out our faith. No one's got a clipboard with a checklist waiting for you to 
Do all the things you're supposed to do as a believer today. You're free to live out your faith. Paul's going to use an example around the subject of food offered to idols to make his point. Verse 24, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Paul is reminding them that there is nothing spiritual about food. There's nothing inherently spiritual about food. You eat it. If you want to eat it, just eat it. But they lived in a culture where food was often used within religious or ceremonial practices. So he gives them this instruction. Verse 27, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. If you have a friend who is a Hindu and they want to invite you to their home for a meal, go to their home and eat the food. You're going to have some awesome curry. Oh, but they're of a different faith and I don't want to. It's okay to enter the home of someone who believes something different than you and have a meal with them. But if someone says to you, verse 28, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. If you were to go to a home of someone who follows Hinduism and they said, we prepared this meal in honor of Krishna and we would like for you to participate in honoring Krishna with us by taking it and eating it. What should you do? According to Apostle Paul, you would say for their sake. No, thank you. It would be the very same thing that if you invited someone of a different faith into this room on a weekend that we observe communion, you would ask them not to participate in this moment of celebration, recognition of the work of Jesus for us. Because it's not their faith. That's why we eat that food and drink that cup when we do it. Does that make sense? So Paul is saying the underlying thing when it comes to Christian freedom is our responsibility to build others up. And that brings us now to the funnel. The funnel is going to cut them to close here. We went from all to most to some to we to I. I am responsible to build others up in love. This is the fifth reality of why we should live for the glory of God. Because I have been saved. I have been rescued so that I would demonstrate responsibility to build others up in love. These closing verses from 31 to 11.1. You've got to keep in mind that these letters were written out loud. So when we would gather together in the first century, when the church, I'm saying we, when we the church would gather together and a letter from Paul would arrive, you would be reading this. Someone would be reading this out loud. And we're about 10 chapters deep here. Have you guys ever been the recipient of someone reading something to you that's 10 chapters in length? When we come to verse 31, Paul has a statement that is so central to his argument that he rhymed almost every word. In this sentence, in the original language, it stands apart that when you would hear it read aloud, you would perk up and you would remember it because of the rhythm in which it was rhymed. 
Here it is. Verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is Paul's point from 8.1. Now he's bringing it in. Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. To make him great, to love him and to build others up. This idea of I am responsible to build others up, this should outweigh our freedom to do whatever we want to express our faith. We enjoy great freedoms in this country. There is a social media outlet that once began on the University of Harvard's campus as a way to compare women to one another. They took the student directory, which was known as the Facebook, right? You can see the story play out in the movie, The Social Network, where women were being compared to one another on campus. And then they allowed the opportunity for people to make comments on that. And then it grew from there to become what we call and use called Facebook. And as a Christian, you have all the freedom to post whatever you want to post. You know what I have yet to see? I have yet to see at the end of a rant. Someone have a change of mind in the comment feed. Oh, I now see your point and I let go of my deeply held conviction about gun control. Thank you so much for your opinion. You are free to say whatever you want. You can use Twitter, create a hashtag, which is a pound sign, then attach to a tag. And you can be connected with anyone in the world and you are free to say whatever you want. But it is our responsibility to build others up in love. And I have yet to see anyone built up by a rant. That's just one example. You are free to live out your faith. But you are responsible to build others up in love. Those of you prone to air your opinions out there and exercising your freedom, your right to do that. Do you balance that with any type of specific building others up? That is our responsibility. Do we enjoy our freedom more than engage our responsibility? When you walk into Walmart, are you just there to get your stuff? Christians are the people who are supposed to go into Walmart looking for someone to build up. Yeah, you got to get your eggs. I understand that. It's important. But have you forgotten that everywhere you go is an assignment? Your workplace, your neighborhood, Walmart. There are people to love and encourage and to engage everywhere we go. It is the highest calling of a follower of Jesus Christ to make the name of God great. What would happen if just the people represented in this room took that perspective? When I go and I stand in the sandwich line at Subway, I have an assignment to encourage someone, to help someone, to love someone, to perhaps share about the hope that I have in Jesus Christ with someone. 
that I have a responsibility in this city to extend the grace of God for the common good. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God. Then Paul says, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. Paul's not saying he was a people pleaser. This word, this idea of I try to please, this is again another rare word that means I surrender. I surrender to others. Not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, they may be saved. The imitators of me, Paul says, as I am of Christ. I love how this passage is laid out. All of us, but most of us stray. All of us can be rescued. Most of us stray. Some in one camp or one in one prison, some in the other. But we have the ability to be free in our faith as I take responsibility to build others up in love. The word all goes away after verse 4 until Paul comes back to whatever you do, do all. This was a, when you heard it, he said it five times, all, 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 all. Then it goes away and then he finally comes back, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. That's why it was written this way, so the people wouldn't miss it. Tucked in this statement that rhymed so they could remember it. Will you remember that you're responsible wherever you go? Will you remember that you are responsible wherever you go? Responsible to lovingly build others up as a representative of Jesus Christ. We should. And we can. The thing that helps me the most do this is to share my life with other believers in community. I easily enter one of the prisons of the heart when I'm by myself. If I'm in isolation. But it's why I'm so committed to what I do here at Fellowship, to love and follow Jesus and help others do the same. In order to truly love and follow Jesus, we must have shared relationships with others that move us away from isolation where it's just me and God to where it's we and God. I find encouragement. I find support. I find perspective when my life is shared with other believers. That's why we provide eight or nine times a year connecting point to help you find ministry teams and small groups where life can be shared. We don't want you busy. We want you growing. And we grow when we're in relationships with others. That's how you can live for the glory of God here at Fellowship as you take your assignment to North Topeka and Southwest Topeka and Southeast Topeka. And whatever Walmart you might find yourself in. Will you be responsible wherever you go? You pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the gracious gift of life that we all share through faith in Jesus. Thank you that all of us are blessed. All of us have been given the Holy Spirit through faith. All of us share in everything you have provided us. Lord, help us when most of us stray. We all do. 
But Lord, may each and every one of us consider our responsibility to build others up in love as a response to you, the knowledge that you have been so good. May our knowledge of what you've done move us to keep in step with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.